Kyle Brandt's Basement is brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. Yeah! If you hear that stock studio metal, you know you're in the basement. And you are. We are back. It is a football Monday. It's a blood sport Monday. I'm thrilled to see you guys. I'm thrilled that you're here. I'm thrilled that you're listening. I'm thrilled that you're watching. I am back from a wild, wild journey across the world. You would not believe the places I've been and the things that I have seen. I've been to Latvia since we last spoke. I've been to the Netherlands. I have been to Poland. I've done crazy life memory things. And uh, I I drank a lot of beer in Germany. Not creative, not interesting. But I'm so thrilled to be here with you because we're going to talk about all the stuff going on in the NFL. The beautiful, beautiful state of the American Football Conference. And I have your thoughts on who you think is going to win it. Here we are midseason. You still sticking with your champ that you picked preseason? You like somebody coming down the stretch? We'll find out about that. We're going to talk a lot about Bill's Vikings. A lot. Um... Also, I'll say it right off the bat, we will have Josh Allen on the show tomorrow, Tuesday. Tomorrow's show, Tuesday, we've uh, talked to Josh, we've confirmed, he'll be here. He's got a big week this week, of course, all the weeks are big at this point, but um, we missed him last week for a myriad of reasons, most of which was geography and logistics. He will be on the show tomorrow. Uh, Tell your friends, lots to talk about. But um, in the meantime, I'm here in the basement, we got the Ultimate Warrior, and we got our guy Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace! You think free throw percentage? You think Batman? Oh, those lights are a little harsh here on the Skycam. Maybe I can just fix that a little bit. I'm the Skycam engineer, and I'm terribly unqualified for it. But let's see if we can pick up a little bit of heat. We've spanned the globe. Europeans, they say, are more fundamentally sound in basketball. Maybe I picked up some of their free throw mojo whilst in their, uh, their home countries. And no, we did that American style. Just, just off the rim. Let's get started. Guys, you know how we start the show. What I love, what I hate, and what's hilarious. First, what I love. Let's go. Oh, baby. What a day in that AFC. Here we are. Almost Thanksgiving. And we get into the real heavy-duty final week. So it's kind of a fun time for us to... Put down our machetes for a second. Stop hacking through that AFC jungle. NFC is a different kind of like a stupid cousin that we don't want to talk about right now. AFC, the star student, the dream child, mommy and daddy's favorite. And let's see what they're doing right now. So I, I sometimes don't like the um, if the playoffs started today topic because it's not they're not starting today. In fact, they're not starting next week or the week after that or the week after that. I think we got eight weeks left of regular season football. But just so as uh, a jumping off point. Let's go through this right now. After yesterday's action, it's in the game tonight. The Monday Nighter is this Eagles commander, so this is all. Here we are. Playoff picture right now. Okay. Chiefs, number one seed. Number one. Someone has to go and do Arrowhead to beat them. They just destroyed yesterday. They won easily. It's fine. What they usually do, Chiefs. And I've said it for years. I've said it, and I don't care who the wide receiver is, or what year, what other contender. The AFC title game, guys, say it with me, is the Arrowhead Invitational. They host it. They host it every year. They don't always win it, but they always host it. And if we were doing it right now, I don't know if they're hosting the title game yet, but someone would have to win there to beat him. Next, how about this game? Patriots at Dolphins. 
in the wild card round. Patriots as a seven, just sneaking in as the last seed, would go at the Dolphins. Ma- massive, infamous history, really, for Bill Belichick in Miami. Tua and the Dolphins are the number two seed. Just destroyed Cleveland yesterday. Looks great. They're so good. They're so offense is so good. They never lose. They're so sharp. Um, then here we go. The six seed Bills, six, would get on a plane and fly to Nashville to play the Titans, okay? They got a lot of history against the Titans. They seem to play them every year. This year they play in the playoffs, which, listen, you're the Bills. You've lost two in a row. Heartbreaking losses to the Jets, especially to the Vikings, which we'll talk about shortly. And you wake up this morning, you see at the Titans. I feel fine about that. I really do. Remember last year, the Titans were the one seed. And, uh... They ended up losing just really dramatically to the Bengals. Speaking of the Bengals, they're not on this list. The last playoff game would be the five-seeded Jets going to Baltimore to play the Ravens. Ravens on a bye this week. The Ravens would be the four. So how about that? So things that jump out from this, okay? This is what's so cool. All four AFC East teams are in the playoffs. It's so unlikely that that happens in any division. It's just a lot of things need to unfold. But if the playoffs started today... You got the Dolphins, you have the Patriots, you have the Bills and the Jets. They're all in. You know the thing that jumps out? God, the AFC West sucks. Put it up there is one of the most overhyped things of all time. That is your Guns N' Roses Chinese Democracy album. Chiefs, and, and, and people who are even hyping the AFC West be like, the Chiefs run is over. The Chiefs are like, screw you. I'm here on where I always am. Where are you, losers? The Broncos and the Raiders are in competition for the worst teams in the entire NFL. Never mind the AFC West. Now, the Chargers... They're fine. They lost last night, but they're doing okay. Not in the playoffs, though. One AFC West team, all four AFC East teams. And so you start to think right now, Christ, is it going to be the Chiefs again? Amazing. Are they, they going to go to the title game again? Are they going to go to the Super Bowl again? Maybe. I want to know your thoughts. So I asked, right in the middle, right in the middle of the season, say right now you can change it, just wipe everything away, erase the dry erase board. Who do you think is going to win the AFC right now? And you guys had lots of answers. All right, Josh says, not that Josh, different Josh. He says, listen, dude, he kind of sets everybody straight. The Bills have lost three games by a combined eight points. Super Bowl teams have in-season ruts all the time. Allen is still a superstar, and Trey White is coming back. Nobody wants to play us come January. Is that true? Are you sure? Like, I, I understand. I agree with the rut thing. I think the Rams lost three games in a row last year. Year before that, Buccaneers were terrible for a while before they turned it on. The Trey White thing coming back is meaningful. I think really the Jordan Poyer coming back thing is really meaningful. Sean McDermott was asked after the game, have you guys lost your edge? And he says no, which I respect, not necessarily agree with. I think Poyer brings a lot of the edge on defense. I I think he really does. He's just everywhere on the field. He has an attitude about him. He has a leadership. I love Jordan Poyer. I think they really missed him yesterday when they get him back. So this guy says, listen, it's fine. It's okay. Nothing to see here. And he may be right. Anybody else want to say? What else do we got? This is what you guys said. Who wins the AFC this year? Steve, Steak and Bourbon. He says, Chiefs, OBJ is going to help get us back. I don't think they're signing Odo Beckham Jr., Steak and Bourbon. I think they signed their version of it already. It was Kadarius Toney who had a touchdown yesterday and was open by like 30 yards on the field. No one was even close to him. I don't think they're signing Odell. I still have the Cowboys as the clubhouse leader to sign Odell, but people think Odell talk is obnoxious. Schrager almost punched me this morning Good Morning Football because I had the audacity to bring up Odell. It's a very forced mass media topic, I get, but I don't think he's going to the Chiefs. Who else is going to win the AFC? Next tweet, please. All right, Mel Cat Do. 
All right, looks like a Buffalo Bills fan. A female one looks like she's got a jersey on. She says, "Arg, this is so painful." She says, "Chiefs or Dolphins," and then a sad face. Realistically, most consistent offenses. Bills have my stomach in knots. I know what you mean. It's been a tough couple of weeks. Their three losses, while very close, have all been excruciating losses. The Miami one in, in the weather and the conditions and the last second hullabaloo. They couldn't get the playoff. Then obviously yesterday and even the Jets loss, just rough. What's really frustrating about the Bills, and you guys have seen this if you follow it, and I'm not just talking to Buffalo. I think the Bills are a national topic just because so many people picked them to win the Super Bowl and maybe a lot less people, a lot fewer people just think they still will. In, their, in the last few games they've had since the bye, Packers... Uh, Jets, Vikings, in every single one of those games, they've scored three points in the second half. That's it. Each time, three points. It's it's not right. Even the Packers game, where you just thought they were just blowing the doors off them in the first half, they just got sloppy and bored or something, and then it's it didn't come back to bite them because the Packers are bad, but then it did against the Jets, and it really did against the Vikings. I mean, our guy Josh... We're going to talk to him tomorrow, and we're going to get this constructively, and we're not just going to wrap him over the knuckles about what's wrong. We're going to try to be positive and have some fun like we always do, but I think he used the word horrendous for the second half. That's where the re- reason the Bills are where they are. They come out strong. The second half's been rough, but this Bills fan says that it's going to be the Chiefs or the Dolphins next. Anybody else? Anybody? All right. Chiefs again. It's This guy says Chiefs. It was always them. They're the team I trust the most in the playoffs. Their biggest obstacle would be if they had to play on the road in Miami in the AFC Championship game. They might. Look, the Dolphins got to lose a game, a two-a game, like a real one, one of these weeks. I say the same thing about the Eagles. Like, I, eventually you have to lose a game for us to even start thinking about some of these other NFC teams. Like, the Vikings, it's great, and it's fun, and they're really good, and they have an awesome record, but they're beating the Eagles? No, especially there. Next. Anybody I want to say anything other than Chiefs or Bills or Dolphins? No, they just keep coming in. Dolphins, they have a better offense than the Chiefs, and Lamar and Josh Allen can't close games when they're up by 10-plus. Lamar's had some problems with that. Obviously, the Bills have had some. The Bills are up by 17. Bills are up by 17 and the whole game changed. I, I'm going to get to Bills, Bills Vikings in a second. We just got to finish this one up. Maybe I should get to it quickly. Any more tweets? Titans! <laughs> All right. Titans fan from Tennessee, Adam Shamp. This is so perfect because his whole tweet is just the word Titans. No reason, no rationale, no joke, no gif, no meme, no nothing. That is so Titans. Just titans no explanation they're gonna win the whole afc adam i don't know i like them better with Tannehill in there a lot look they're one of the varsity teams i say this all the time about titans they have zero sizzle zero sexiness which is very hard to explain why it's just something about their brand it's just it doesn't cook at all but their coach is really good and they have a lot of gritty veterans and they're always they're always going to be a tough out unless they played the bengals last year and uh, just get Tannehill throws 50 interceptions Anybody else? I like that you said the Titans. Last one. Okay. Cincinnati Bengals. Interesting. I said it today. Right now, they're on the outside. They wouldn't make the playoffs if the thing started today. But do you, do you think they make a run? Do you think they get hot? God, they got so many good players. Chase comes back healthy. We'll see. Bengals are a fun one. I like that you threw them out. I still don't know. I, I know they beat the Chiefs last year. I still like Buffalo better than them. I do. I still like Baltimore better than them. I still like KC better than them. But I like that you said them. Just a little bit of variety. In the meantime, it's just this beautiful mess of a mosaic. And I don't know what the case is right now for picking against the Chiefs. You listen to Buffalo, you're saying, well, we beat them. I know, but Buffalo is really spinning right now. Kansas City is not. Miami is not. 
Although maybe the harder case is picking against Miami. I'll just say this again. They have not lost. And I know everyone's sick of hearing this. If you're not a Dolphins fan or if you're a fan of their rival, they have not lost a game that Tua has started and finished. He had the issues with the concussions early on. He left. They lost this game. They're undefeated effectively. It's really the Eagles and them in their own way with an asterisk because of injuries. But that's pretty compelling. And Miami is just fast and fun and lively. And listen, support them or not. I'm not on anybody's bandwagon. People get so sensitive. Don't talk about us. You're not on our bandwagon. I'm not on your bandwagon. I'm just giving credit. I'm giving respect for what you're accomplishing. And you deserve it. Tough, tough, tough out. But let's get to it. All right. It was um, for the second straight year, the Buffalo Bills lost the game of the year. Let's just get into what I hate. Let's go. Thirty-three to thirty, Vikings thirty-three, Buffalo Bills thirty in Buffalo. Shocking, just outrageous football game. I think the sixth or seventh craziest moment of that game would have been the craziest moment in any game for a month. Um, just start to finish. I, I started to think about you know you've seen all the highlights all day and you probably watched the game. To prove my point, I, I kind of have a, a little bit of a list of the most meaningful plays in that game. From Let's go from five to one. And I think the most underrated play of that Vikings win by far, by far, is the Dalvin Cook touchdown run. The long one. You know the one I'm talking about. 27 to 10, the Bills are up. They're up by 17 points. They get a field goal. They settle for one, rather. There's 24-10. They get a field goal. 27 to 10. There's these beautiful, majestic snow flurries. Everybody's happy. Everybody's drunk. We're cruising. We're killing the Vikings. Cousins had thrown two bad interceptions, one terrible interception. And they're up 17. Here comes the Vikings offense. And they hit you with the one-play drive. And it is Dalvin Cook out the gate, down the sideline for 81 yards. I think that changed the whole game. The whole game. Because it was an absolute defib paddle to the Vikings and they saw their superstar get fired up and run through the defense and not even get a hand on him. You know, Dalvin Cook had this whole thing where his brother's on the other team, so his whole family's there. He would charge up about it. And I just think the game felt distinctly different after that touchdown run. It wasn't the Josh stuff. We'll get to that in a little bit. It wasn't anything at the goal line. Just this simple, oh my gosh, one play, 81 yards. And it was like, Man, you can't let them go that way. You can't. You got to close out games. You're up 27 to 10. You can't let the other team's best ball carrier, probably second best player after Jefferson, go 81 yards on your home field. It was like they took their foot off the gas. You got to snap the neck on teams, especially a team that is that good and that talented like the Vikings. And the Vikings didn't panic at all. There was no moment for them where like, oh man, it's not Kirk's day. I guess he's choking. I guess he's throwing bad picks. We'll just let the Bills blow us over. And maybe the Mike Zimmer Vikings would have, not this one. I think that game, that that run, that 81-yard run changed a lot of things. It was like a little bit of air came out of the stadium. After that, the stopped quarterback sneak. This was crazy. You don't see this. Vikings have a fourth and goal inside the one. Do you remember many times they run the quarterback sneak and it doesn't work at the pro level? They run it. It's the right call. You know, these days, half the time when it's fourth and goal at the one inch, the guy's in the shotgun. Everyone's screaming, why are you in shotgun? Get under center and hand it to the running back. They said, screw that. We're not even giving it to Dalvin. Run the quarterback sneak. It works. 
It is one of the most effective plays in all of sports. You can always get it. And it was a really bad sneak. Did you watch it? It kind of reminded me, I don't know if you remember two years ago, the Bills lost to the Titans and they were on the goal line and Josh Allen kind of slipped, his cleat slipped and he didn't get in the quarterback sneak. Cousins was just bad. He fell forward left, his feet were immediately taken out of it. It was obvious that he was short. The Bills started celebrating immediately. And like, if you're the Vikings, you're like, how do you blow that? Quarterback sneak always works. And Cousins, like, I, I, I love Kirk. That was a terrible quarterback sneak. There was no attempt to, like, put the ball forward. He didn't either do the burrow into the A-gap, kind of behind the center and the guard. He didn't do the Superman over-the-top thing. It was like he just took the ball and fell down on his face. It was so bad. And even as he's going down, they take the second look at it. They're like, maybe it broke the plane. There was no attempt to reach the ball at all. What was he doing? It was like he kept it right here like a baby and just fell down short. So you think, all right, that's over. The Vikings turn away. Kirk Cousins is going to be skewered the next day for that play. You got to make that play. No. Um, The next one, I'll go down to number three. The two interceptions, I'm talking about the two Patrick Peterson interceptions. You know, some of the narrative after the first one, I'm talking about that both of them in the end zone was, well, it's fourth down anyway, um, so you don't you, you don't have a, anything open, try to make a play, got intercepted. I don't know, we'll see. It was a big interception, he returned it pretty far, and then Josh got banged up afterwards, which was really curious, and you're like, what, he was face down on the field, did he, did he hurt his hand, did he hurt his elbow? Strange, strange, um, ugly play. And then obviously the massive interception at the end, which we'll get into. And a a lot of the replays of it, the the second Peterson interception, the end of the game, it's always the replay I keep seeing is always the the broadcast angle, which is from the side. You're not showing a lot of the rear angle or of the quote unquote coaches tape. So it's been a little tough to decipher what Josh saw. They showed it a little bit on the broadcast. But Peterson just stepped right in front of it, and it really looked like there wasn't a lot there. So that was a massive play, and that was over. But I still, in terms of remembering the game and what moved the game, let's go down to number two is the Jefferson catch. Now, the Jefferson catch was insane because if you remember, uh, the Vikings had to have that play. They were It was fourth and 18. They're losing. And before he even makes the catch, which, of course, we think should have been intercepted or knocked down, I, I don't really like the people saying, you got to knock that ball down. Sure you do. But it's just not generally what players do. You go for the interception. It was an easy interception. I mean, it was right there, perfect position to catch it. Guys catch that ball. He didn't. He got it ripped out of his hand. In hindsight, you say knock it down, but I think most players wouldn't. But I thought Peter King had a really interesting nugget that before that fourth and 18, they make their huddle call, whatever it is, and Cousins says to Jefferson, he says, be ready, I might just throw it up to you which is a really cool, like, just kind of Sandlot deal between the quarterback, the veteran quarterback, and his best player that, look, I'm going to run the play, and I'm going to kind of look, scan the field, and go through my progression. But odds are it's fourth and 18. I'm just going to throw it high, try to go get it. And it's exactly what he did, and it's the best play you could possibly call. A play I feel like teams should do more. Just throw it to your best player. Predetermined, Madden style. Throw it to Kelsey. Throw it to Chase. Throw it to Cooper Cup. Just who cares? Just throw it to him. Let them make a play, especially in that situation. And that catch, we we were chewing on this all morning, Good Morning Football. I know this is painful for Bills fans, but that catch from the pure physicality, from the artistry, and from the stakes, I think was more impressive than any catch I can think of in the last decade, including the Odell catch. 
You know, Ketch is looked at as the Michelangelo, looks like the standard masterpiece. It's been duplicated a few times since then and didn't have the stakes of if Odell drops that, okay, he drops it and they go on with whatever their next play is. If Justin Jefferson doesn't make that, the game is over and they lose and they fly home to Minnesota and the Bills win. That's It's a fourth and 18 have to have it play. It's It was like Steph Curry, the Warriors are down three with two seconds left in regulation and he shoots one from his own free throw line and makes it. And you're like, if he misses it from 60 feet, they lose, but he makes it. It was that big and had to be that big of a gut punch for the Bills too. I wasn't in the stadium yesterday. I watched that entire game on a plane. I was on Delta and we had live TV on the plane. And it was one of those beautiful things where everybody on the plane is watching it. And if you just kind of push yourself up by your uh, armrests, you can look at everybody's seatback screen and everybody's watching the same game. Everybody has on Fox. And uh, when you, you could hear it, like even like the whole plane would go like, oh, or ah, like the oohs and ahs throughout the entire cabin. Kind of an electric atmosphere. It was like my own little stadium that I was in here in my crappy I, middle seat. 22E, the flight from Austin, where I was for my brother's wedding, to JFK. But the flight went fast because the game was so entertaining. But the number one play, uh, it was not even the Jefferson catch. The number one play is the drop snap on the quarterback sneak for the Bills. Cousins blows it, falls on his face. <laughs> Ridiculous quarterback sneak, and that's the game. You come on the field if you're Buffalo, and there's been this talk since then about take the safety. Don't take the safety. Josh is massive. No one's stopping him on a quarterback sneak. He's not going to take a loss. Just don't take the safety. Just take the snap, and you win the game. Take the snap, and you win the game. And as we were watching it this morning, I just kept reminding, being reminded of the Miracle in the Meadowlands, which is just one of the most unconscionable plays in any sport ever, before quarterbacks would even take knees. And they fumbled it because they tried to hand it off to, I think it was to Larry Zonka, if I have it right, not on the Dolphins, but late in his career. And then Herm Edwards picks it up and scores. This was like that. If you tell the Bills, all you have to do is take the snap and fall forward and you win the game. And they couldn't do it. And... I haven't heard Josh talk about it much, about what exactly happened. Um, but listen, I heard somebody ask this morning, well, was it because he didn't practice all week? I don't think so. It's We're not asking him to do anything exotic. It was just take the snap, right? It's something that he had done. He's not only he's done his whole life, he had done the whole game. <laughs> we're talking about this is the end of the game here. This is fourth quarter. And they dropped it. And I don't know if conditions played a role or if there's just nerves. Also, I, the actual schematics of the snap. Did the snap come up a little bit short and hit him in the fingers where maybe it usually hits him in the palm? Did he pull his hands back an eighth of a second faster than he usually does? I mean, it's a pretty intense snap. I get it. Like the the Vikings are coming full bore and they're going to try to knock you back and get a safety at the very least, let alone a touchdown off a scoop and score. But what exactly happened? Was it Was it nerves? Was it nerves on the snap? Was it nerves on the QB? Was it nerves on both? It's just... um. You can talk a lot about, well, you can't throw that ball and get intercepted um, by Peterson, or you got to knock that play down um, against Jefferson, or you got to tackle Dalvin Cook on the long run. Of course. But that's just football. Guys make plays, guys miss plays. Not being able to execute the snap and fall forward, and that being the reason they ended up losing the game, is the biggest play of the game. It's the biggest play of the game for the Vikings, biggest play of the game for the Bills. The most inexplicable play, I'm sure, for Buffalo, for Josh, for the entire offense, the most frustrating play, the most regrettable play, but also just as a spectator, the most unbelievable bat bleep insane play you could ever imagine. Not only that they fumble it, 
but that it's recovered for a touchdown in one fell swoop. And there was still life after that, but that was the biggest play. And um, listen, we'll see where this we'll see where this shakes out. Uh, I think this Bills team is very talented. They're getting very good players coming back. They've been through a lot. They got punched in the mouth a few times in the regular season last year too. Then they're still trading touchdowns with Mahomes and Arrowhead, and we'll see if they get there again. But um, the game of the year, second year in a row, they've lost the game of the year. It was nice that the Bills actually had the ball on offense this time. But those are the moments, and there's about 12 others. But those are the five, and um, we'll see. Josh on tomorrow, a lot of questions. Look, we're going to try to keep it light as much as I can with Josh. I'm going to try to keep it as constructive and friendly. I consider him a friend in the industry. I don't want to sit here and just browbeat him, but I'm sure as Bills fans, as NFL fans, you got questions, and I respect him for coming on tomorrow, and we'll find a way to make it fun somehow. We'll work on it. In the meantime, uh, you want fun? Let's talk about what's hilarious. Come on out. All right, so the NFL in Germany was hilarious. It really was. And if you are if you consume NFL, you've watched all the broadcast stuff and all the people talk about it, and Brady said it was wonderful and one of the best football atmospheres he's ever been around. And you might say, how yeah, easy for you to say, Tom. Well, you won the game. Well, Pete Carroll came out and was raving about Germany afterwards, too. And he lost in, by five points in pretty tight fashion. I've been to London with the NFL a few times. I've been to Germany here. It was a different deal. And of course, London's had it for years. They've had it many times over. This was Germany's first ever time, and it was it was insane. Let me, let me instead of just hyping how great the NFL is and all the international expansion, how wonderful it is, just a quick anecdote. If you've never been to Germany, you grew up, you know, as a kid, and you, about the culture these days in Germany, and it's pretzels and beer, and there was one thing that always fascinated me about wanting to visit there. And I got right into it. And maybe if you've never visited there, or if you have, you might have the same fascination. So I land in Munich, and it's uh, like late morning. It's 10, 11 a.m. It's a work day. I think it was, what day was it? No, it wasn't. It was a Sunday. And I get to the airport, and I'm very fortunate to have a driver pick me up. And it's this tall, silver-haired gentleman, who's a German man who speaks perfect English, and a little bit of an accent. He's got this beautiful suit on. Like, this, they, it's just different over there. Like, this guy had, like, this awesome suit, and he just, he says, so nice to have you here, and here's some cold water. It was, I, I felt really spoiled. So, my point is, he takes me to this car, and it's it's a really nice, fancy car, and I'm so impressed. And this is great. I feel like pretty woman. I feel amazing. Get in the car. We're driving on the highway, and we have to go to the hotel. And I'm doing what everybody does when you're sitting in the car like that. You just look at your phone, you zone out, you look at your phone, you look at stupid Instagram, and I should have been turning off my phone and enjoying this foreign country that I'm visiting. So I do. And as I look out the window, I notice that we're doing a pretty good clip. Like, we're, we're driving pretty fast. Now, we're not blowing by the other cars next to us, but I'm like, are we going, like, really fast? So... I lean forward and I look over the driver's shoulder to the speedometer. How fast are we doing here? I, my, my spidey sense is telling me we're, we're hauling ass. So the speedometer, of course, is in the metric system, which we as Americans don't really grasp. It doesn't compute to me what the numbers mean. But it seems pretty high. It says 178. 178 kilometers per hour. All right. So I'm no fool. 
take out the old smartphone and I go to Google kilometers per hour to miles per hour. I type in 178. We're doing 109 miles per hour. This is the professional driver taking me from the hotel to the hotel from the airport. We're doing 109. And I was simultaneously scared, but also kind of like, hell yes. And I, and then it clicked. And that childhood me who had been intrigued by the modern German culture, I was like, holy bleep, we're on the Autobahn, aren't we? And I said, excuse me, sir, is this the Autobahn? Yes, yes, Autobahn, no speed limit. And I was like, awesome. Because I remember hearing about it as a kid. You grow up in the States and you're like, you would hear or you would learn in social studies or whatever that there's this highway in Germany, the Autobahn, and you can go as fast as you want. It's not 55 like it is a lot in the States or 65. It's a, you can go 305. There's no speed limit. And I remember thinking as a kid like that it feels like hyperspace or something. Like you make the jump to the Autobahn. You, you punch in the coordinates and then make the jump to Autobahn or it's ludicrous speed. It just didn't make any sense to me at all. It was two things. I didn't understand that you could just go to a place called Amsterdam and just like buy drugs and it's legal. And then I just could not wrap my 12-year-old brain around the idea to go to this highway and there's no speed limit. So I started, and I was on it, and I was so thrilled. Bill, uh, did Seahawks and, uh, and the, uh, the Patriots, or, Jesus, Seahawks, Bucks, be in the matchup, don't care. Beer, great. I drank a lot of beer. Pretzels, I've had a lot of pretzels. They're great. The Autobahn got me going. And I started talking to him, I'm like, do you know, sir, that you, we can never have this in the United States? If all of a sudden there was a new law that the 405 in L.A., or the hutch, as it's called here in my neck of the woods, or I-80, or anything, any highway you've ever driven on, the 94 in Chicago was just suddenly no speed limit, there'd be 100 people dead in the first five minutes. And I think 98 of those 100 people would be dead, not from crashes, but from road rage crashes and incidents. And it would be, all of a sudden, it would be like, if we unleash the Autobahn on the United States, it would be like Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> you would see um, people riding on top of their pickup trucks with a guitar with flames shooting out of it. You would see people going back and forth on these like bendy uh, flagpole things. There'd be machine guns. There'd be tribes that form. There'd be all kinds of uh, makeup and warhawks, mohawks, axes. It would just turn into Mad Max in two seconds. Everybody'd be dead. The road rage incidents on Instagram were out of control. We couldn't handle it. We just couldn't. There's certain things I think as, as a nation that we're great at. There's no way we could handle the Autobahn cruising through Jacksonville or LA or anywhere. It, it, Omaha, Nebraska, Cheyenne, Wyoming. It doesn't matter. We could not handle it. There's no way. Um, and they do it through one of their biggest cities. And the drive is just smooth. And the reason it's not that alarming is because the other cars, again, you're not blowing by them. You don't feel like you're in Red Racer or something. Everybody's doing it. And in fact, we're doing 109 miles per hour. There were some people that blew right past us, and they're doing 135. And I know this because I was chatting up these, um, we have the German crew members who were with us there, German stage manager, camera operators, sound people. And I was telling, yeah, the Autobahn, you know, we were doing like, 178 kilometers per hour, and they're like, small time, still in second gear, huh? Like, they scoffed at how fast I was going. I think sometimes 
these people are driving like 150 miles an hour to get to work, <laughs> which is crazy. And they don't have these just fatalities. There's not just bodies strewn across the freeway. It's just, I, it's an incredible cultural thing. The NFL thing in Germany was great, and there's going to be a lot more games there. And if you start reading about it, they're going to go some other places too. I, I think in the next few years, they're going to be in South America. Like they're going to be playing in, in Brazil or Argentina. And then I was reading that the Rams want to play a game in Australia. Like it's just, it's all going to keep happening. This is going to be part of our NFL lives for the next decade. We're, the international expansion is a huge thing. It's exciting. It's fun. But my takeaway right now, oh my God, the Autobahn. The childhood me, this kid right here, if anybody ever looks at this face and wonders who is that, next to Henry Hill and the Wet Bandits and MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice, that's me right there when I was 12. That was my school picture. I had giant, giant tortoiseshell glasses and that little mullet thing. This kid right here, probably this kid too, but this kid right here would be so excited that this me was just cruising along at 109 miles per hour. And I'll take my 109. I'm not as fast as you guys in Germany. That's fine. I, I respect my 109. It's great. It was amazing. If you ever get a chance to ride the Autobahn, do it. You would think that in a country that it seems to be so fueled by beer, it would not work well to give them no speed limit. It works beautifully. The driver's name, I don't remember because I'm a jerk, but you were great. I loved you. Thank you for the Autobahn. If you ever get there, try it. Let's go, though, to something that we call, oh, you want some speed. You want 109. You want 309. The speed on these takes and a little segment that we call takes on takes. Come on. Lions, tigers, and tailgates. Oh, my. College football season is always the greatest time of the year. You put on a jersey, get your face painted, break out the foam finger, but it's all about the food. And nothing gets you more fired up for game day than Eckrich smoked sausage. They're naturally hardwood smoked and have the perfect blend of spices. From buffalo sausage dip to sausage chili mac and cheese, Eckrich smoked sausage is a quick way to bring flavor to all your tailgate meals. Visit Eckrich.com for easy, one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckrich, you do you. Starting your own small business can be a total roller coaster. Between all the bumpy twists and turns comes the actual business side of your business, which can really throw you for a loop. Luckily, with QuickBooks, you can manage your business with confidence from the start. So no matter how bumpy the ride gets, you can always stay on track. New business? No problem. Success starts with Intuit QuickBooks. Learn more at quickbooks.com. You know what I got right here? Numbers. Numbers that say 10, they say 6, all kinds of numbers. If you've been watching the basement, you know how this works. Takes on takes is exactly that. I give my opinion on others' opinions. That's the world we've gotten to in the take game. I have takes on takes. You come right in, and we're going to pair two take artists against each other, and we will judge them. Really, the categories are delivery, creativity, a little bit of heat, just the right amount. I'll give them a score from 0 to 10. We've never had a 0. We've never had a 10. And whoever has the higher score wins. Let's get after it. First up, you won't believe this, Stephen A. Smith on ESPN's first take program. Stephen A. has some thoughts. Oh boy, here we go, guys. Stephen A. has some thoughts on Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Go ahead, sir. Number one, Josh Allen, at least for the moment, is out of the MVP race. He's not even a part of it. Let's just call it what it is. And I'm going to tell you why. Because you've got three losses. All three losses are directly attached to his performance. 
All three. You threw two interceptions yesterday yep. in the red zone, yep. in the end zone. You threw two interceptions against the New York Jets. You went to bed on the road against Miami. Okay, you weren't yourself. Now, you know how I feel about Josh Allen. No, that's a fair he's comment. A, he's an absolute stud. He's an absolute stud. I'm not taking anything away from his greatness. I'm just talking about this dude was a leading candidate for league MVP honors. You understand that Tua Tungvaloa is a, is, a, is, a, is a more viable MVP candidate right now than, than Josh Allen. Than anybody. Than, 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 well, I wouldn't say anybody, but that, not Patrick Mahomes. I wouldn't say that. But then, then Josh Allen, <laughs> yes. Because what I'm saying to you is that Miami, the games they lost were without him. Their record with them is entirely different. Sure. The three losses, Perfect. albeit close ones, literally came down to plays involving Josh Allen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Not just interceptions, but now a fumbled snap, too. I mean, the center was snapping the ball to you. You got to make sure you catch it and you advance it a damn half yard. That's all we're talking about here. Game's over. Right. My belief was Buffalo was those dudes. That was the team. And over the last two weeks, I've had to change my mind. They can be had. Buffalo could go to the postseason and not win a playoff game. It's possible. I'm not saying it's mm. going to happen. It's possible. All right. So where to, where to go with that? He has some pretty strong thoughts on Josh. I saw a tweet from um, Maggie Gray, who you might know her from CBS Sports Radio. Really like her. I've known her for a long time. She's here in New York. She, uh, OG Bills supporter. She tweeted that Josh Allen is like my favorite Simpsons quote. He is the cause of and solution to all of the Bills' problems. I believe I'm, I'm, I'm like a four out of ten on my Homer Simpson or my Simpsons knowledge. I think he's talking. I think he's talking about beer. Is both the cause of and solution to all the Bills' problems. Stephen A. Pretty calm for Stephen A. That's only him at like a 5 out of 10 energy-wise. Comes out with the Josh Allen MVP take. I think a lot of people are saying that. And I don't think that it was... um, I don't think it was breaking news that right now, if you voted for MVP, Josh would not win MVP. He leads the NFL in interceptions. I think it's, if you care about this thing, it's Mahomes and and Tua, but also Jalen Hurts, who plays tonight. Um... Then he got going. He, he said, you got to get a half a yard on the snap. And it's true. Just take the ball. I liked the kind of part that he said, I thought the Bills were those dudes or those guys, whoever he phrased it. That got strong. And then I do have to say, I think he kind of slipped up at the one-yard line. It weakened the take a little bit at the end when Stephen A. said, now I'm not predicting that they will or they won't. I'm just saying it's possible. I, Stephen A. usually goes a little stronger than that. Convict, con- commit, uh, have the conviction. So because of that, I hate to say this right here. Um, Stephen A. has a 6.6 average on this show. He's a 2-3 career, which means he says five times in here, only one twice. And I'm going to lower his average. It's five. And I say that out of respect for Stephen A. He's, it's, it's not his strongest, most ferocious, most original or entertaining take. He has better takes. And that's a five, which leaves the door wide open for Dan Orlovsky, the next person into the arena. Now, when you're watching that clip, you may have noticed um, that when Stephen A. said Tua didn't have a good case for Patrick Mahomes, at least not as good as, 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 excuse me, If when he said that Tua did not have a strongest case for MVP as Patrick Mahomes does, um, Orlovsky kind of gave a little look to the camera, almost like a little Jim Halpert deal. So let's see if he can retort, perhaps, uh, with a thought on Tua, and if he can beat a five, he can beat Stephen A. Go ahead, Dan. 
I'm gonna hunt down all the people who told me Tua sucked, like Denzel in, in Man on Fire. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna fi find you guys and make sure that <laughs> you realize all you guys were wrong. The way that Tua is playing right now is off the charts. He's neck and neck with Patrick Mahomes as the MVP. He leads the NFL in basically every category. He's got yeah. the best QBR in the NFL. He's actually got a passer rating of over 135 for three straight games. You know how many people have done that in the history of the NFL? One, Tua. He's distributing it. The accuracy, the timing, the touch, the placement of the throws is as good as we've seen candidly since Drew Brees, prime Drew Brees. That's what this looks like right now. And I, I'm telling you, everybody, well, ask Ryan when he comes on next hour. This is, this, there's no defensive coordinator that is not fearing playing against this offense, and it's because of Tua. He's playing as good as you could play, and it's him and Patrick Holmes right now for MVP. All right. Lots of light there from Dan. Um, okay, so personally, know your judge. Know your room. I'm the judge here. Comes out of the gates with a movie reference which I like and landed and Molly gave him the laugh. Quick side note, not a quick sidebar. I'm not doing that right now. I've never seen the Man on Fire movie. Never seen it. Is, are there two of them, right? I love Denzel. I just have never seen it. You don't see everything. Some slip through the cracks. I gather what he's talking about is Denzel goes around and either beats up everybody or kills him or something. Probably kills him. So that's what he wants to do. Um, then he came through. So Dan goes movie reference, then stat, like meaningful stat, I think, about no one's ever doing what he's done. Then he gets into the take, which is, uh, he went historical, said nobody since prime Drew Brees, and then he kind of finished off strong. What I like about that take is there's not an ounce of fat on it. There wasn't an um, there wasn't a hesitation. Dan was obviously prepared. He had a strong conviction about it. He threatened the audience and maybe other media members by saying, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you, which I like, and that definitely gives it some heat. Um, he's, you know, he's not... He's not dilly-dallying around. He's not saying, I'm not going to predict this or predict that. So for that, Dan Orlovsky averages a seven in this segment. He's played twice. He's won once and lost one, but not anymore. I'm going right with his average. That is a seven for Dan Orlovsky. He is now two and one in takes on takes. Stephen A., who again says he's never lost the debate, uh, loses again in this one. Stephen A., I love you. I respect you. But Dan Orlovsky, I'll say it again, twisted steel on that one. Not an ounce of fat. Personal felt a little bit like he was very invested. Movie reference quick. Stat quick. Historical reference quick. Conviction take and out. That's how you do it, folks. That's how you turn that butter in the take factory. Dan Orlovsky wins 7-5 to five over Stephen A. Smith. And we all win here in the basement when we get to talk to Michael Flynn and his transitions lenses in a segment that we call Brant Awareness. Let's be made aware. Go ahead. Do you have ambitious hiring goals for the last quarter of 2022? With a powerful hiring partner, big goals are no big deal. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at Indeed.com basement. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash basement. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello, Michael Flynn. How are you? Oh, you're in the kitchen today. I see a turkey over your shoulder. There is a turkey over my shoulder. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Would you indulge me to tell you that, because you and I understand we're in a house full of children and everything, I want to know why you changed locations in your home, because you were in another room last time. Were you forced out by some sort of school project, or like, why did you move in the house? I found a different way to connect an Ethernet cable, and I like doing it in the kitchen instead of in my eight-year-old son's room. So I wow. like the setting better. I like the turkey over my shoulder. If we start to I do, do if we're if we're doing this a month from now, maybe it's a Christmas tree. We'll see. All right. What I like though is that you are now exposed. Like you are in the in the nerve center of the home. You're in the watering hole of the the Serengeti. So if you have the wife come home, or for some reason children come in, are do you feel a little at risk? Because I'm almost nervous watching you in the kitchen because there's too much activity in the kitchen for a family man. I'm very much at risk. I'm the only one in the house right now, which which is totally fine. But I can see my back deck from here, and if like the landscaper comes and there's a leaf blower, I, it's I'm over. Out, I'm out of luck. I need to run. Well, listen, leaf blowers are a conversation for another day. I, I, is there anyone who doesn't want to commit homicide because of leaf blowers? It is my least favorite thing in the world. And God bless those people. They're making a living. But oh my God, I, I just I just want to get a knife every time I hear it. Let's before we go down that road, why don't we be made aware of what else is going on in the headline? What do you got, Flynn? Yeah, they drive the dog crazy. Okay, first up, uh, Raiders, another terrible loss yesterday, oh, made man. worse by the fact it was against a Colts team led by first-time ever head coach Jeff Saturday. Uh, Derek Carr, very emotional after the game. Let's take a listen. Okay. Um. I love I love Josh. I love the car. I love our coaches. Um, they've had nothing but success, you know, way more success than I've ever had, you know. And uh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm just pissed off about some of the things, you know, that a lot of us try and do just to practice. What we put our bodies through just to sleep at night. And for that to be the result of all that effort pisses me off. Pisses a lot of guys off. Yeah, you know, God, the Raiders are so bad. (laughs) I'm sorry, Derek. They're so bad. They're two and seven. They lost. They lost to a, a team being coached by a, a guy from Get Up. Um, the week before that, they lost to Jacksonville, which I think is worse. The week before that, they got shut out by the Saints. And um, the only game they've won in like the last couple of months was against Houston. Derek Carr is one of those guys who, if there was ever just like a good guy Hall of Fame, I think he'd go in. You watch him and he just he says the right things. He plays hard talented he just has never really won anything of consequence and I think a lot of it is not his fault some of it is his fault but I would think if Derek Carr's approval rating is pretty high right I mean it's, it's not like he's some kind of jerk or bad teammate it's just football's hard 
He's been in this game so many years. He's had so many coaches and so many teammates, and he just hasn't accomplished anything. And I think here he is, and he knew that that game yesterday was like, well, this season's over, and there's another one. How many of these do I have left? What am I going to do? You know, we were in the playoffs last year. It was really cool. I was one throw away from winning my first playoff game, and then we get my best friend from college here to make all the money, and we get all this offseason hype, and it just sucks. I can't even sleep at night unless I have, you know, 20 hours of treatment a day from the trainer. And yet here we are, and we're losing to, like, a terrible Colts team with a head coach who's never coached a game before ever, and we can't even beat him. Uh, and they got to play the Broncos next week? I don't know. Who knows? The Broncos uh, might fire Nathaniel Hackett, and maybe they'll hire Mark Schlereth to be the head coach, and they'll probably beat the Raiders, too. I, I, don't, I, I take no joy in watching Derek Carr suffer. I, I laugh only because it's just kind of sad and you laugh about it. There's other players that I don't really like that much in the league or I'm not a fan of, and if they were crying up there, I'd be like, I'll oh, suck it up. Good guy, Carr. You know, he's the kind of guy you'd want to be in your golf foursome, your poker night, or date your daughter or anything. Lead your team in the last two minutes of the game? I'm not sure, but the Raiders, the Raiders are the number one disappointment in the entire NFL. In, entire NFL. More than Denver... Uh, more than any team you can name, I'm trying to, more than the Packers, more than the Packers. The writing on the wall was for the Packers. Denver was all unproven, new head coach, never had coached before, new quarterback, new place. The Raiders were set. This team was set. We got every player we need. We got the head coach who's going to bring all this magic and everything. We got the cool stadium. We got the crazy owner who's willing to spend. We are set. We're going to take out the Chiefs. They, 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 they can't even take out the, 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 the guy coaching his first game ever, who's never, ever been a coach except for a losing high school team. So, uh, I, I don't know. Just they're the number one disappointment. There's nothing else to say about it. Flynn, what else you got? That, that, was, that was a terrible place. Are you crying there in the kitchen like me? I'm about to start crying. <laughs> it's, it's bad. Let's uh, look ahead to tonight and Monday yeah. Night Football. You got the Commanders visiting the 8-0 and Eagles. On our last Sunday show before you headed overseas, you had the Commanders yeah. at the podium. Do they have any shot against the Eagles tonight? I don't know. I I hope so. It, it, as long as Heineke's out there, they got a shot. Now, this was supposed to be, you know, the <laughs> Wentz versus the Eagles. And that would be kind of fun because with Kirk Cousins playing so well, we need someone to be the pinata, and that has to be Carson Wentz. But he's if, if, as long as it's Heineke, and as far as I understand, it's going to be... Um, the Eagles losing would be would be very compelling because the NFC is kind of waiting to have an identity. The AFC's identity is we got a bunch of good teams, we're figuring out who's going to be the best team, but we, we, we got load and we're talent. The NFC is this kind of stupid brother who just sits around and we're like, yeah, the Eagles are good and like, who else do we love in this division? I don't love the Cowboys, okay? I don't love the Seahawks. I'm starting to love the Vikings. That was huge yesterday. I loved, I'm starting to love the Vikings. And I don't love the Giants, even though they win every week. I like them. I don't love them. And by love them, I mean, like, I can picture this team representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. Not winning a wild card. Not winning a game here. Like, they actually could win the NFC title game and play whoever in the Super Bowl. Who can you actually see doing that at this point? The Eagles, I think, yeah. Just because, man, their, their O-line and D-line are so good. So if they win this game, then it's on, and then they get to 9-0. and And remember, guys, teaching point for all the kids at home. The discussion about perfect seasons, be it 16-0 or 17-0 or 0-16 or 0-17, that does not begin until 10 wins or 10 losses. 
So the most annoying thing, Flynn, about the Eagles winning tonight is that there's going to be shows and segments, I won't be on any of them, I promise, that say, well, let's just talk about it, let's bring the schedule up, and they get, can they go 16-0? and Do the Miami Dolphins of 72 need to have the champagne ready? I don't know, but avoid those segments. If you watch shows that do those segments already at 9-0, and tweet the shows and tell them that the segment sucks. It's unimaginative, it's premature, it's wildly speculative, just talking out of your butts. Don't do that. So that's the bad part of the Eagles winning tonight. The good part of them winning tonight would be that we have a true front runner, and I like I like the teams that are 12 and 0 and 13 0. Can anybody beat them? And the NFC is waiting for an identity. The Vikings have stated their claim yesterday. They staked their claim. The Eagles will tonight. And the Commanders, oh my God, if the Commanders win, then they're in too. I don't know. It's an interesting game. Uh, I wish Wentz was playing just for the the comedy of it, but I love the Taylor Haneke show and. He, Super, super, super electric, contagious baller. I think the Eagles probably win. And uh, if they win, again, avoid those shows. Lynn, you like those segments where they say, oh, they could go 16-0. Tell me if I'm wrong. I don't like those segments at all. I take great pride in the fact that I don't believe this is our 42nd or 43rd episode of Kyle Brandt's Basement. Mm -hmm. I don't believe we've thrown up an upcoming schedule graphic once. And it's something I'd like to stick with. That's great. (laughs) I I, I mean, it's... You throw up the graphic, and there's like 70 teams on there, and seven, your, your eyes don't even know where to go. There's logos, there's team names. It's so bad, and it's so... The only thing worse than right now, if the Eagles go 9-0 and and throwing up their remaining games, is the segment... And listen, I work with people who do this. I work for networks that do this. I, I probably should be more positive. But the one in training camp, when they say, All right, guys, let's bring up the New Orleans Saints schedule, all 17 games, and I'm literally going to go down and say, well, that's a win, that's a loss, oh, that's that's an easy win, just completely talking out of my butt, and I, well, I got them at 10 and 7, and it's it's almost always 10 wins, that's my, my theory on that is schedule prediction guy or girl usually settles on 10 wins, used to be 10 and 6, now it's 10 and 7, it's never like, Oh, just disaster. It's going to be 4-13 and 13 this year. And it's never like 15-2. and two. It's always 10 wins. So you're going to see those tomorrow if the Eagles win. I'm telling you, you can at me in it. If you see a show or if you see a sports media person who at 9-0 and 0 is already forecasting whether or not the Eagles can win the perfect season, I want you to at them and tell them to stop and include me on it. And tell them I told you to. I don't care. We can start something. It's too early. Come up with something else to talk about. The talk for 16 and 0, 17 and 0 starts at 10 and 0. And I actually think that's a little early. It should probably be 12. But I've stated 10, I'll stick with it. If you see someone doing that, mention it to them and at me. And at uh, Michael Flynn. What's your handle, Flynn? Let's get you some followers. I think it's mflynn19. Think Don't so. try to be cool and say, I think it is. You know what it is. It's mflynn19. What was that, your high school baseball number or something? What was uh, you, it? You know I didn't play high school baseball, just a favorite number. No, I don't. Okay, your favorite number? Why? What's 19? Is it your favorite athlete? Uh, Yeah, growing up I was a Mets fan. I liked Bob Ojeda from the 86 Mets. I liked Lenny Harris, who was a pinch hitter extraordinaire on the 2000 Mets. So it was always And he's 19? 19. Yeah. All right. 19, not that popular of a number, so it's cool. All right, what else you got? We got to go. I'm going too long today. What do you got? One more thing. Uh, Variety put out a list of the 50 greatest performances in HBO history. No surprise, James Gandolfini at the top as Tony Soprano. rest of the list might come okay. as a surprise. It's worth noting current shows like Succession and Curb Your Enthusiasm weren't included, so no Larry David. We'll throw up the top 10 in a second. What are your thoughts, mm-hmm. Kyle? 
All right, well, I think, I think Gandolfini is unimpeachable. You know how you know Gandolfini was so good in that role? Is that, just keep up the list, I wanna talk over it. You, you watch it year after year. I still watch Sopranos all the time on YouTube, I'll watch clips. And you just kinda are convinced that oh, that's James Gandolfini. He is Tony Soprano, he acts like that, he talks like that, he's just kinda being himself. And then you'll watch an interview with James Gandolfini and he's so different. And you're like, you're like, what? Why is Tony talking like that? Because that's not Tony, dude. It's James Gandolfini. He doesn't talk like that. He's not constantly breathing through his nose. He doesn't have that affect. He doesn't say the same kind of phrases and bust chops like Tony Sopranos. He's really deep into a character. And sometimes if you just need a little bit of a reminder, watch a James Gandolfini interview. I don't know with James Lipton or David Letterman or something. He's so different. Um, Number two says Carrie Coon from The Leftovers. That's stupid. I don't know what that is. Terrible. Number two ever? Julia Louis-Dreyfus from Veep at three. I didn't watch Veep, but I kind of watched it in the periphery because my wife watched it. She seemed amazing in it. All right, Michael K. Williams and The Wires, Omar. Yeah. Who the hell is Carrie Coon and what is The Leftovers? Is that that show with Jennifer Aniston's husband? That, why would they put that too? I hate that they do these with these lists. Because they got to put some dumb crap in there just to get people like me to scream about it. I'm just taking the bait. All right, you got Dinklage, Tyrion Lannister at five. Something, a show called I May Destroy You at six. Stupid, don't know what it is. Matthew McConaughey and Drew Detective, True Detective I like. Nicole Kidman in Big Little Lies is outrageously good. She, If you've never seen that show, she's in season one and she does this, she has this crazy relationship with the tall Skarsgård dude, Alexander. In like the sexual stuff is crazy. The domestic violence stuff is unbelievably well portrayed. It, Nicole Kidman is, belongs there. Certainly more than whoever the hell Carrie Coon is and Michaela Cole. I don't know those people. Gary Shanlin from the Larry Sanders Show. People say it's the best show ever. It's not my thing. Lisa Kudrow from The Comeback is really funny. I don't know if you remember that show, but she was excellent in it. She played this kind of washed up actress who was starting a reality show. She's great. I would just say this. Kendall Roy in, from The Succession has to be on there. A fantastic portrayal a character just loaded with not only the funny lines and the funny scenes, but just so much weight on him. Um, and I'm going to ask you, Flynn, who you think is missing. You know what I think is, I don't know how you don't have this person on here. I think you got to have Sasha Baron Cohen on there for Borat and Bruno and Ali G. I think it's maybe my top two or three favorite HBO shows ever is the Ali G show, but I think you got to have him on there. Flynn, who do you think is missing or misranked on this? I, I hadn't even thought of Sasha Baron Cohen. That's a great yeah. call. There were a few that I liked to see on the list and a few that I was surprised that were not on the list. I love seeing Edie Falco at 12. I don't think she gets the credit mm. that Gandolfini always sure. does at 1. Uh, 1 at 24, J.K. Simmons, way before his Oscar win, played a terrifying villain in Oz, Oz. which was one of HBO's first shows that was still yeah. scares me when I think about it to this date. Uh, I also think one of the criminally underrated HBO shows is Boardwalk Empire. And I think mm. it's right, I would put it right up there slightly below The Sopranos. And you've got Buscemi and Bobby Cannavale in Nucky. the 40s. And then mm -hmm. other guys, Michael K. Williams was great in that. Jeffrey Wright was great in that. I think you could list five, ten people from that show who would have been on that list. I was a boardwalk guy too. We we finally jumped ship, Brooke and me, after like maybe season four, and I, I just think it got a little off the rails. But I liked that guy who had like the mask on and the messed up voice. Like yep. that show was really good. One of the things that killed me about that show was the opening credit sequence was tedious. It was just Nucky standing on the beach, and it felt like it went on for three minutes. And so like 
Normally, that's one of the strengths of the HBO shows. I hated the opening credit sequence. It kind of put me to sleep. But I think those are good submissions, Flynn. Um, if I was to reach in the Wayback Machine, The Crypt Keeper, for sure. I was practically raised on him. Uh, Brian Benben in a show called Dream On, which had always one scene of nudity per episode, and I liked that when I was a kid. But um, I don't know. I think it was, look, I don't know who those people are in the shows I don't recognize. You got to put some crap in there just so not every list is Omar and Tony. But Edie Falco, fantastic submission as well. You could put 20 people from Sopranos. You tell me there's a better portrayal than Chris Bramaltasante or Pauly Walnuts? Flynn, come on. Yeah, Christopher Moltisanti was on there. Melfi was on there too. Paulie Walnuts was not. Mm, incredible. All right. Yeah. Uh, I love that list. The reason people put out lists is so you and me scream about them and disagree. They're always clickbait and we take it every single time. Uh, Flynn, is that all you got? We will see you tomorrow on a Josh Allen Tuesday. Yep. We'll talk to you then. All right, buddy. So you know what time it is. Let's go to Skycam. I got to go and get myself a dart. Uh, let me walk past uh, Michael. No, not Michael. What am I talking about? Ben Wallace. You know, I was thinking about something while I was talking. Um, Michael, was it Michael C. Hall? The guy, he was in Six Feet Under. Six Feet Under was a really good show. Really good show. He could have been on the list. All right, so I, I throw one dart, and whatever number it hits, there is a list of topics that the producers have made up that I'll just talk about as I close the show. And let's see what number it will be today. Here we go, number... Hold on. Uh, that is 14. 14 is the topic. And I will come back over here. We go back to the regular cam 14. That's the first page. <laughs> Number one says recites Shakespeare as Dan Campbell. I'm glad he didn't hit a one. 14. Oh, Christ. It's one of these stupid internet debates. Is cereal. Oh, crap. Is cereal soup? <sighs> All right. Is cereal soup? No. No. The answer is always no to these dumb questions. Um. No, but uh, listen, we got a lot of fun cereals in my house because I got an eight-year-old and I got a five-year-old. No, six-year-old, sorry. And if I was to walk out the studio door and up the stairs, I would walk right into the pantry. And if I was to not stop walking, my face would actually collide with Frosted Mini Wheats, which are a childhood favorite of mine, and Honey Nut Cheerios. So in our house, we don't do the outrageously, stupidly unhealthy sugar cereals. We don't do the Fruity Pebbles or the Cocoa Puffs. We do the kind of uh, sort of healthy adjacent ones. I'm sure Tunning Nut Cheerios have whole grain or something crap like that. So we do those. But no, it, 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 at no point would I ever consider there being soup. Um, the soup of the day at a restaurant would never be Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Um, if, if you were to go to a rest, another restaurant and they say, uh, with your with your entree comes with it um, uh, Fruit Loops or salad, super salad. No, uh, the episode of the of Seinfeld, the guy says no soup for you. There was not um, crackling oat bran was not one of the options. This is one of those stupid ass debates. Like, would you rather fight ten duck sized horses or one horse sized duck? I don't know. I just want some of the acid that it would take for me to actually be in that fight. That's it. I love cereal. I love soup. Big soup guy. I will order soup all the time. Soup's kind of polarizing. There's some people who don't like it at all. I'm way into it. I love soup. I love cereal. They're not the same thing. You know, bleeping hot dog is not a sandwich. Die hard Christmas music. No, cereal's not a soup. It's just delicious. That's what it is. That's it, guys. Josh Allen Tuesday tomorrow. Uh, if anything you really want to hear about, tweet the show at KB Basement. You know how it goes. Until then, 
I'm going for a ride. Love you. Miss you. It's great to be back. Great to be back in the States. Uncle Sam! We'll see you tomorrow. Take care.